So today we're doing the book of James. <laughs> very good, very good. So all those that weren't here wouldn't know what we're doing right now. Okay, this is, a, this is an exciting book that we're going to walk through, okay? So it's over the next few weeks that we're going to be doing this. But before we do that, I just want to show you a little PowerPoint that we put together here. Not about the book of James at all. On the 20th of April, on Easter weekend. Okay, I want, to, I want you to see the ramp up to these moments. At the end of March, I shared to you basically what God has been telling us about the city and that 42 Karama radius thing I got through that dream and how God just confirmed so much through Isaiah 42 and the number 42 means such a lot. All the generations in the Matthew are 42 generations, but Jesus is the ultimate final one. Now we are part of the Jesus generation and all those things can be played into that number and that word. On that. But on that Saturday, and what I felt when I first felt that thing in, in probably about October last year, I felt that at that 42-kilometer radius, we needed to go to each point, a road or a high area in this area, and mark it with a tent peg in the ground. And um, we got these beautiful pegs that we got um, painted in like a bronze kind of color. And a group of our leaders and some other people went to all the main roads that come in. So put that first slide up if you can, Shane. And that says... So you'll see it's not very clear, but it's not big enough. On the left-hand side is the peninsula, and all the red spots along there are, are almost exactly 42 k's from this building of this area. And the, the 42 k's is right to the end of Meltbos, outside of Durbanville, outside of Stellenbosch, outside of Somerset West, outside of Gordons Bay. It's the extent of the city. And then we went to points, points down at Cape Point, Scarborough area. So let's just roll through. These are the different points that people went to go knock their pegs into the ground. And what we also did was we poured pure water or rainwater from this exact building here. Because this house has been called an Elisha house. It was prophesied over by Chuck Pierce when he was here in 2016. And this Elisha house speaks of signs and wonders and a place where God will do stuff and a resource place. People to come and be. And what I felt to do was part of the, one of the miracles that Elisha had done was that he, the first thing he did, he threw his cloak on the water and the water parted and he walked through. But the second thing he did was there was a, a stream or a river, this water was bitter. And he put salt in the water and it made it sweet. And I felt that there was a sign of pouring pure water out over these sites that God will do signs and wonders in this city. And greater things will come over the city. And we declared Isaiah 54, which speaks about spread wide your tent, pe- your, tent your canopy, spread wide your tent pegs, that basically lifts the canopy of what God is doing over the city. Look here, we were all, no one knows we've done this, but heaven saw our obedience. Yes. And heaven comes in. We went to all, each of these different points. We all gathered here at 1 o'clock on the Saturday or 12 o'clock on the Saturday. We prayed together. And I tell you, when I prayed, I don't often, I sense and I feel stuff a lot in the spirit. But man, I felt a rumbling in the spiritual realm. It was like this happening. Because we don't fight against flesh and blood. And there's, there's guys, there's so much happening over our country right now. That is taking on the rulers and principalities in this in the heavenly places over this nation right now. We just fit it into the order of what God is doing across our city and our nation. It's not like we're doing it special. There are many other people doing stuff. But it's the timing that this has taken place. That we are now lifting the canopy over the city. Over this nation for the spiritual influx of God's atmosphere and ruin and reign to take place in this country. And the powers of darkness are being broken off slowly but surely. Because why? The people are arising with one heart and one voice. Okay, so they just that you're aware, we did that on the 20th. It was quite a beautiful ramp up. Praying in Elders on the 7th of April, launched here on the 14th, and then on the 20th, 
we celebrated and put the tent pegs in. They're still in there, in the ground. People driving past looking at us going, I don't know what we're showing, but there was Nathan, bam, bam, hitting things with the ground. But we do it in faith. We do it in obedience to what God is saying to us. We don't do it for effect. We don't do it to get more. We just do it because God has said. And then we trust Him. And He will play it out for us over the next few weeks. And funny enough, on that Saturday, there was a prayer meeting that took place in Joburg. And with all the key political leaders praying together that evening, and I sent it to Janet Brown, just saying, the timing of us doing these things together, of sending order over our country, it's taking place. And we're all a part of that, folks. We're not individuals, you know, some other people are going to do it. God's looking at us, saying, my people, arise. Stand in these hours and these times and declare to the heavenlies that I reign and I rule. And it's, the battle is taken up there. So it's, it's very exciting with what we're doing. So I know some of you might have even gone to the march that happened yesterday. They bed at 10 o'clock in Sunrise Circle and walked along to Musenberg Beachfront. And Roxanne sent me some photos of people gathering together. There's this drive and this, this momentum of the Christians saying, enough. Enough. We're getting out there. We're telling people this is who we are. This is what we stand for. And it's time to arise now with one voice. And it's happening. Don't let judgment sit in your heart. Don't sit there with pride and going, you people, support it. Get your heart right. Get your heart aligned with what God is doing because he's doing a good thing. It doesn't look like the way you might have done it, but it's, but it's God doing a good thing across our nation. You don't have to try and get to everything either. I um, was here until Hoppers 3 on Friday or Saturday morning, so I wasn't going to race to a, to a um, march at 10 o'clock that afternoon or that morning. So there's no pressure to try and be at everything. But it's the hearts aligning with what God is doing this. Amen. And I just think, um, okay, so now we're going to walk into James. But I think with what Ilana said last week on Easter Sunday was the perfect build-up to, to this. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a very straight, straight message for an Easter Sunday. You know, it didn't leave us feeling all, wow, that's amazing. Thank you, Jesus, with victory. It left us feeling challenged of what it is surrendering our lives to Him. And... Uh, it's beautiful. We lit these candles afterwards standing there. There was a photograph that came out in the week with Errol standing like this and Fana standing next to him. So we've named them our altar boys now that we have standing there by the candles. All looking very solemn and guilty. You look guilty? Not? No? No, no, no. Okay. But I just... Yeah, your halo. Yeah, all that. Yeah. He shines his head in the mornings. That's all. That's all good. But I, I want to I put it to us now. We're going to walk through this book. Okay. And Ilana's message just preempted the timing of it beautifully. Is that, is that what, what happens? I mean, so firstly, we've got, to, we've got to agree. The whole book is essentially about, just put that first slide up if you can. Is, we're calling it growing in maturity. Okay, it's all about you walking in the things of God and actually doing it. That's the whole book of James. It's essentially doing it. Very practical book. It speaks into all the issues of life. But we've got, to, we've got to make a decision in our hearts before we walk into this. That firstly, we agree that the Word of God is the final authority. We know that. Okay, it's the living Word of Christ. But the Word is a lamp unto your feet and a guide unto your path. It's Psalm 119. Okay, so it leads us. It guides us. It puts things onto our hearts. So what we need to agree together, that as the Spirit gently convicts, as He gently just places things onto your hearts, you respond to it. Because that's the Matthew passage or the Gospels where Jesus speaks about the seeds of the kingdom. It's the word of God that is placed into our hearts. And it's not just for salvation and stuff. That's a part of being drawn into the kingdom. But it's what we do with those seeds of the word that they land on fertile soil and produce fruit. 
Because you'll leave here and the burdens of the world will quickly fill you. Oh, yeah, no, I've had that feeling on Sunday, but you know, I just, and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that feeling's gone. Because you haven't responded to what the Spirit's speaking to you about. And, 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 and I don't want to start with the heavy here, but it's, it's out of a genuine love and response to what God wants to do in our hearts. He's, he's doing something with us. He's leading us on a path. That picture of Father walking, just saying, come on. And he walks ahead. I walk ahead. And then suddenly realize, and then they come running. And they follow. And that's what God's doing with us. He's really testing us in the season as a community. We're going to walk into that. So it's, it's surrendering our lives. You know, and, and we chatted in our elders meeting on a Friday. It's like, we often say that the word's going to challenge you. You know, that's a very strong word, challenge. You know, a challenge seems like it's a duel. It's a fight between, and some one's, one person's going to lose. In this, okay, it's not a challenge that's like a deal. It's a conviction on our depth of our hearts to say, God, I want to live for you. And there's only ever one winner here. It's yourself when you surrender to God. It's, it's as simple as that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's a very simple formula. Okay, and so we're going to agree that we're going to surrender ourselves, our ways and our will to him as his word challenges and speaks to our hearts. Okay? And that He works in, the Holy Spirit does. So we're going to create a lot of time for ministry, for people to respond, even if you just want to come stand at the front. So I know last week, I want to thank you people, honored the space beautifully. So if you wanted to go and get coffee, you just left the fo- into the foyer, so people could just stay here meeting with God. And like, we want to just honor that over the weeks to come as we walk into that, okay? So, you know, why, why preach through a book? You know, why don't we just preach what we want to preach? You know, and feel what God's leading us. And, you know, well, the early disciples, you know, they didn't preach through books of the Bible. What did they preach? Hey? They were preaching what Jesus had taught them. The revelations of Christ. What if Paul didn't even meet Jesus? He saw him in Damascus, but he had revelation of Christ. Today we have it. All their teachings are put into a book for us. To be able to grasp, be able to draw upon. Now, we don't walk through a book because it's a systematic thing that we've got to do. Part of this is that we're preaching the stuff that we don't easily get to preach. So by walking through a book, we're going to say things and have to preach things that we'll just not get to because we always want to preach about the presence of God. We always want to preach about worship. We always preach about the nice stuff. We're going to preach about everything now. Yeah. And it's going to touch your hearts. It's going to work on something and to say, okay, God, help me. That's the reason why. And what we are in this year, what we said from the beginning of this year, it's a year of kingdom mobilization. So it doesn't happen instantly. It's a forming and a shaping that starts happening with us as a people. And, and James is all about go. Action. Do. Don't just sit and say, they will do it. It's what you are doing with your life in response to the Word of God. That's what it's doing. And it's not trying us to try and make programs for your doing. It's you being obedient to God's leading in your own life. And He will create the way for you. But it's done within a context of a community where you're safe. Where you know the touch of God, where you know there's people around you to support you. You're not on your own in this, but God will do it in His due time and work for you in your heart and He works us. So, what I want to just touch on this morning is I want to walk through just understanding who James was. You know, we talk about these books and stuff, but we don't actually know the people that wrote it. My life, yes, Jesus has inspired me and He's given me everything I need, but you know what? People have inspired me. And I've known people's stories, and I'm like, man, that is, that is amazing. That, wow. This man must inspire us. Because he was, he was a human on earth that went through the same challenges that we went through, dealt with difficulties, but yet he produced a book that would put something into our walks and lives and say, this is how you need to live. These are the things you need to be aware of. 
Let him, let him inspire us. Rather than just say it's another figure in the Bible. We don't know who he was and whatever. We'll, I want to speak about James a little bit. Talk a little bit about the themes of the book and the styles. But then importantly, how that's going to apply to us as a people. And what God's going to do in and through us by walking through this book. And what God's saying to us in this time as a people. Okay, so I just want to read this quickly. Y'all. Um, Colleen and Dave gave me this this morning. It's, it's, it's out of their readings that they do. Every day, and it's out of James, and it's, he speaks it from the first chapter. It says that we are counted all joy, my brothers. But he says, some t- scientists create artificial environments to study the effect of various conditions on tree growth. As they matured, some trees began to bend and snap under their own weight. The issue was identified as an absence of wind. They clearly did not live in Musenberg. <laughs> and whilst a whilst challenge, wind makes trees flexible and causes roots to spread so that they become more able to withstand storms. So in life, difficulties, disappointments, and frustrations can help us mature and grow in spiritual strength. That's a Brian Powersland. Shine through the cloud and rain, through sorrows, toil and pain. Make thou my pathway plain. Teach me thy way. Yes. Mr. Ramsey wrote that. Yes. You see, there's trees there along the flame that grow like this. <laughs> I remember a guy that moved down from Durban and he's like, what is up with these trees? I was like, that's the way they grow yeah, bro. The wind just causes them, but they're strong. They might be leaning sideways, but they're strong. And they withstand a constant blowing of wind. So Jacob walked with a limb, but it was a mark that God had touched him. You see, as in life, if you're going to be flimsy, the wind will still blow you over. This book's going to build strength and maturity into your hearts. It's, it's, it's not physically strong. It's spiritually strong. So that when you walk through trials, you've got something to hold on to. You've got the hope and the truth of the word. When you worship, you worship beyond your trial and your circumstance. And I love that proverb. It says that in times of trouble, if you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? We want our strength to be great in God and rely on Him and hold Him to that. Okay. All right. So I want to read you the first verse in James. I won't read the whole book. You were ready for that, eh? Next, ne- next time. Yeah. There's some stuff he says there which we'll touch on a little later. It says, James, a servant, another version says bond servant, another thing says bond slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And then he goes on to the rest of the chapter. And I just want to hold it in that place for this morning. Okay, and we will pick up with the rest of these passages as we walk it through the weeks to come. Now, the name, the name, Jake, the name James actually means Jacob. Yaakov, it says in the Hebrew. Now, this man rose to prominence in the Jewish church that he was leading in that area, and he led the church for 20 years in Jerusalem, okay, before he was murdered. And there were, there were five Jameses that had been spoken about in the Bible. Okay, the, the reference to all the others and stuff, it's, it makes it, well, some think it might not be, but it points very clearly to that this James that wrote this book was the half-brother of Jesus. Okay? Now, Jesus had four half-brothers. The Bible doesn't even say how many sisters that he had, but he clearly had sisters as well. 
Jesus was the firstborn in that family. Okay, and Jacob was one of his half-brothers that were burned further down, further down the line. And it's interesting to note that there was five, maybe possibly seven, they say, of the twelve apostles were Jesus' cousins and in his family. Interesting. But none of his brothers were necessarily disciples or the apostles that God had called. Okay? And James, with his brothers and immediate family, didn't know what to make of Jesus. You've got to put yourself into the life of the story and the context of it. This was the older brother. Think about it. You have your older brother. He lives with you. And at 30, he starts calling himself the Messiah. Like, okay, buddy. It was fine. For now, what's going on? Think about it. You've got, to, you've got to understand from his... They were brothers. They grew up together. They would have played together. They would have done stuff. They were in each other's family. And then he started his ministry at 30. Now it makes sense to why so many of the disciples and the apostles and those guys were all at that wedding in Canaan. Because they were all family. They were all linked in. They didn't just barge in and break into the party and like we self-invite ourselves because we're the disciples of Jesus. It wasn't that at all. And that's the miracle that he first did that miracle. And if you read that story, only a few people knew that he had turned the water into wine. Not many, not many knew what actually happened and went down there. And obviously Mary had been involved with that. So you've got to put yourself in the context of James. He's written this book, but this is the man he speaks about. He, in, in that context too, Jesus started calling, who he said to Mary as mother, he started calling her woman. Woman, my time has not come. He doesn't call her mom anymore. Things changed. Imagine his brothers looking at that. And then in Mark, where they come to go and get Jesus, and it's his whole family outside. They see your mother and your brothers and your sisters are all here for you. And Jesus says, who are my brothers and my mother? <laughs> Can you imagine? And then he points to all that you are my brothers. You're basically my family. God, what do you think his family outside is thinking? Really? Really? Into context. Then even a deeper context. In John 7, just before Jesus speaks about that whole, you know, um, the spring of living water that springs inside of you, his brothers were teasing him, saying, well, if you call yourself the Messiah, it's time for the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? The Messiah, we believe, is going to come around the feast. So if you're that guy, you better get there, pal. And they were teasing him. Basically, if you're going to be that guy, it's time for you to arise now. And that's where he said that he let them go on his own and he quietly came on his own to the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? And after all that had happened, James was so moved by what Jesus was to him. He understood the truth of, yes, it's his brother, but actually being Messiah, that when Jesus was crucified, he said these words, I will never eat food again. He was so moved by it. And that's where he got this word saying, he will call himself, well, he, the fast basically ended in three days because Jesus rose again. But it's that where he called himself a bond servant to this Jesus, who he saw as his brother, but he was his savior. He had to get that revelation, understanding who Jesus was. And knowing this reference now of how his family was around Jesus, that in Acts 1.14, it says there, they were in the upper room, they were all together, his mother and his brothers. So not one of them was left out. Yes, they didn't understand. They didn't get what was going down. But at the time when it counted, they were all there. And that's why we have hope for everyone. There's people that are prodigals that are drifting. There's hope for them. 
They will all come in and God will save and restore each person to the call that he's got upon their hearts and lives. That happened right there in Jesus' little world with the people around him. All his brothers and his mom were all there in the upper room. That's where the breakout have happened. James, if you read in Acts 15, where they're having a, a tussle between the, the context of the church wanting to fall and the Christians falling to all the Jewish traditions and how we're going to do this and everything's worked out and the Gentiles are causing this hassle and they have this big meeting in Acts 15 and there's obviously a lot of talking and James steps up and motions with his hands for everybody to be quiet and everyone silences down and they listen to him. He was clearly a man that carried an authority that he was recognized. They knew that if James was going to speak, he had something good to offer. And everyone listened to what this man had to say at that time. There's names that have been associated around him called James the Just. And another name is Oblios, meaning really reliable person. Beautiful, beautiful story. And then relating to his death, James, it's in about AD 62. They say around there he died. There was a gap where Fetus was the current Roman governor of the time. He had died and there was a gap of two months before Albinus the next Roman governor was set in place and the Jewish rulers saw this as a gap to be able to capture and seize Christians and cause some trouble because the, the Romans had created a lovely foundation for all of this to be able to operate together. But they saw this as a gap to seize more Christians. And during this time, they took James to the very top of the temple, the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem, just the same place where the devil had taken Jesus. And they said to James, blaspheme. Well, the words they said to him, blaspheme Christ. Or we'll throw you off from here. And his words to them were, I see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory. They threw him off the top of the temple. And he didn't die lying on the floor. So what they started doing was throwing him with stones. And while they were throwing him with stones, they heard him shouting, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And someone said it, He's praying for us. He's praying for us. And he still didn't die from stoning. And somebody in mercy came and just clubbed him on the head and put him to death. And they collected his body. And when they collected his body, they saw his knees were like that of a camel. Because he prayed so much on his knees. They were hardened. And he spent much time in prayer. And I'll read, read these two quotes by an early church father called... Esubus and Hegesippus was an early writer in the day. Thank goodness names have become easier, like James and John. Esubus <laughs> said, the philosophy about James now, the philosophy and godliness which his life displayed is so eminent a degree was the occasion of a universal belief in him as the most just of men. How's that for a gravestone? The most just of men. And uh, the early writer says, James, as a Nazarite, understanding a Nazarite never cut his hair, never was around dead people, never drunk or touched alcohol. He was in the habit of entering alone into the temple and was frequently found upon his knees begging forgiveness for the people. So his, for the people, forgiveness from God for the people. So his knees became hard like a camel. In, conscious, in consequence of him constantly lifting them up, in worship of God and asking forgiveness for the people. Because of his exceeding great justice, he was called the just. What a legacy. Folks, I don't know what you're living for, but I'm not living for people to remember 
the things that I might have done. It's who I was for God. That's what he's remembered by. He was a man that cried out for the things of God, lived for the things of God in his days. That's what we want to remember for. What a, what a man, what a character that we can be inspired by and listen to his story and hear his heart as he's written down in this book for us. Now, the book itself is quite an interesting style in the way it's put about. It was written to Jewish believers, as he starts there right very the beginning, very beginning, saying the 12 tribes dispersed. Okay, now there was only two times that Israel was ever dispersed. And that was in 586 BC when they had to go to Babylon. And there's this dispersion that took place. But there's another time just before Jesus came that the Jews were scattered all over the place. And the timing, when you see when Jesus came, was absolutely perfect. Because it meant with them being scattered and the Roman rule that had taken place, there were roads built, so there was access to everywhere, and the common language was Greek. And it was the perfect environment for the gospel to come in. And for God to, and for Jesus to come and share the gospel of the kingdom that he was speaking about. His book is made up of many little wisdom speeches. Okay, that he's all made up together. This is not new theology that we're reading. It's not Romans now where Paul is challenging us. And you read some of that stuff and you're like, man, I've got to read that over and over again to grasp what he's saying there. It's not new theology. What this is practical advice of how you live your life and how you act in regards to the circumstances and the situations around you as the people of God. Remember, it's been said here from the beginning, it's not how you act, it's how you react, which is very important how we do that. So there's some key themes that run through this book. There's favoritism and love, wealth and hardship, patience and endurance, life trials, genuine faith and our words, our tongues, what we actually say with our words, wisdom and new birth being made perfect. And a lot of this book is drawn from Jesus' teachings on the Sermon on the Mount. His brother inspired him. His brother moved him. Yes, he questioned it is, but he was there. It sat in his heart. And he is now able to part that. And also, a lot of references given to Proverbs, the wisdom book. Proverbs verses chapters 1 to 9, that he draws a lot of his drawing from in this, in this book here. And, and basically, it's... Uh, it's stamped with this language and main imagery of one line. Love God and love people as yourself. It's, it's cemented in there the whole time. Worship Him, honor Him, but love people as you know that you can love yourself in God. Okay. If there's one word, and like I said earlier, that this book's going to draw us into is this, is action. You know, many other books, when you read Paul's writings, there are key words that stick out to some of them, like justification and sanctification and these big words that have a lot to say, they kind of do. If I could just, I should have actually just put the word do there. Do. D-O. This is what this book speaks about. Do it. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. This is a book of action. That's why I say right in the beginning, when the Holy Spirit prompts you, when He speaks to you, it's up to you to respond. He's the most patient there ever has been. He's not going to force you. But he's always going to woo you and longing because he's got your book's been written out and he wants you to walk in according to the world that that book's got written for you, which is his fullness, which is his goodness, which is life, which is favor, which is blessing. It's all there for you for us to walk into and respond to that. And it's, it can be a very simple book. So these, these basically, these, these are the seven main themes that this book will touch through. Okay, it speaks about wisdom, prayer and faith, poverty and wealth. Perseverance under trial and temptation, 
God's provision, taming the tongue, faith and words. Okay, that's what this book's going to touch into as you walk through these now. Now, interesting in this book, chapter 1, basically you can see all the references there are all to the first chapter. He gives reference to everything he's going to talk about in the rest of his book in the first chapter. That's why the guys say this book is very difficult to follow. Because he says everything, but then he actually outlines it more in the body of the book from chapters 2 to 5. He speaks about it more in context and more plays it out a bit bigger with references, with stories, with all sorts of things he plays out. So basically the first chapter gives us his heart. It tells us everything about what he is wanting to convey to the Jewish people that are scattered all over the place that this letter was written about to them. And David Pawson says about this book, he says that once you've read this book, you can't plead ignorance. Because now you know. Okay? So don't now in a month's time go, Oh, I don't know. In the book, read it. It's there for us. It's there for us. So it's going to touch our daily lives issues, which are exactly the same as they were 2,000 years ago, just a different time. That's all. We're dealing with the same things. Look at these things. They're all relevant to today. We need wisdom. And how we live in this nation, in this country, how we operate, how with faith and prayer, how we walk forward in the things of God, the hope that we've got in Him. Poverty and wealth, like those haven't gone away. They're still here. We've got to know how we approach them. Perseverance under trial and temptation and the testings of our faith, all these things that take place. God's provision, we've seen much of that. It's still the same. The tongue. Julius Malema should read James. (laughs) And let it touch his heart. We say things that we just want for gain and political stuff. You don't say things for gain. You say things because that's what's in your heart. That's what happens. So watch what we say. I, 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 I'm going to say it now. That's, that's going to be hard, that one. It's, it's, going to work, it's going to work hard on us. You know, I, I played my first hockey match yesterday in about 16 years. That's why I'm not walking around. I'm just standing here by the pool. <laughs> But then I did the stupid thing and saying, you know, no, I'll play the second game. There's a game this afternoon as well. I'm like, anyway, but you know what's fun? Hanging around people that use the four-letter words like they are second language to them. Uh, it's actually quite, not, it's not like refreshing in a way. It's almost quite, these people need the love of Christ. They're all mates from school, like old days. Haven't seen these guys in 15 years. Saw a guy yesterday I hadn't seen for 30 years. It wasn't at hockey, it was something else. I was only in primary school. I was like, buddy, and I remember his name. I mean, it's amazing. But you know what? This is, this is taking the kingdom, who we are as people, into the world with these values, with these standpoints, these strengths, these principles in our lives, and we don't fall into the way the world wants it. You see, we're in the world, but not of the world. That's a key thing as the kingdom, as the people of the kingdom. This, and this is what this book's going to do for us. And how the book does, you see, chapter one is, 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 is says everything, and then he plays it out more in chapters two to five. There's actually a context to wise writing like that. It was an old Hebrew way of writing called the Shoraz, where it was related to how old rabbis used to teach that they were, if they were called upon, what he would just do is just drop and share pearls of wisdom and gems of wisdom with them. He would just drop these one lines. Do this. When you do that, when you do that. And this book is written in exactly the same form as what a Shoraz is. And so it's just dropping these truths to you. It doesn't elongate it necessarily. A lot of one-liners, a lot of wisdom that are dropped upon you. So a lot of people love this book because it really just speaks into that and stuff. So that's, that's James. That's the book. But we've got to apply it. We've got to place it into our worlds and to our lives and what it looks like. 
And uh, sorry, I've got more on the book here. Um, sorry, the end bit's off there, but you can see those words. I'll get to that now. I'll leave it up there for now. There's one challenging verse that I want to just touch on in this whole book is James 2, 24. And I want to just touch it. We'll preach into it more. But the verse says this, 2.24. It says, You see that a person, he's talking about faith without works is dead. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That verse has caused theologians umpteen conversations. Because basically what they're saying there, he's contradicting what Paul says in Ephesians. Because Paul says, by, you're saved by grace and not by works. Okay? So is James wrong? That you're justified by your works? Okay? He's not wrong. But I just want to touch on this because we'll preach on this a bit more. When James wrote this book, he wouldn't have read anything that Paul wrote. So he wasn't writing it in opposition to what Paul had said. It was, it was not deliberate contradiction. Okay, what James is saying here, and when he wrote this, now we understand who he's writing this to. Paul wrote most of his letters to the Gentiles. And for the Gentiles, basically saying, stop living in Jewish legalism. James is writing to the Jewish people to saying, stop um, living like Gentiles with this license to do whatever you want to do. So you've got to put into context. You see, they wrote to two different groups of people. It was not purposely contradicted, that particular verse. But the works were these, actually is meaning that word action. Faith without action is dead. That's what he's saying there. So it's all about action, not about justification by the law or the works that I do according to the law that I'm now saved. It means differently. Because he has, he has a few things. I love this. Legalism says to you, you're saved by works. What you do counts. What you do counts because it will work towards your being saved. This is what Luther thought about. Luther, Luther said of this book, Martin Luther said, he called it a right strawy epistle. He didn't like it. When he translated the Bible, he added James is in as an appendix after Revelation. Because he said he didn't believe in this book. Because that one verse, he says you're justified by faith. That was his whole fight with the Pope. His whole fight with the Pope was, look here, you guys are playing the answer of salvation, making people pay money for, for, for the uh, paying of their sins. It's faith and justification in Jesus. That was his whole kind of thing. <laughs> so he puts the book right at the end. But he didn't have the heart to leave it out, you see. So look at those three things there. See, legalism says you're saved by works. Legalism says we will ensure you are not free. That's what it says. That's the bondage that it gives to you. License says I'm saved without works. Just do what I want. It's fine. We're free to sin. That's okay. That's grace. We can do this. But liberty, true liberty in the Spirit of God says these things. We're saved for works. Okay? Good works of love. God works in us. And we are free not to sin. It's just such a better way to put it. You see? And that's, that's essentially what James is speaking into here. Is that it's the liberty that we have. The freedom that we have. He refers to the beautiful Torah. The, the beautiful law that we've been given as a set in place for us. But he speaks into the challenges of our lives, everyday lives that we live and we lead by and how we operate and how we work these things out. Okay, so for us as a community, you know, this, this book is going to work in our hearts. But as I said, and I felt it during the worship time too, and I know that's probably what I'm feeling, what God's saying in my heart, is we're in a season of uncharted territory. 
where we're walking in, where God is requiring more of us. That's why there's a lot of talk like marriages and parenting. Okay, we've got to really help people with their finances. There's all these things that are happening in the background because we want to ensure that we are a people that are whole. James uses this book, this word called perfect. That, that you will be made perfect. And what that speaks of is wholeness in every facet of your life. One John speaks about that you would that, that your soul would prosper. It's speaking about being whole. So that your marriage is whole. That your parenting and your skills and your uh, skills, when you need skill to raise children, hey, buddy. Okay? But that you have parenting wisdom in how to raise your children in a godly way. And how to deal with our finances. That's all happening with us in the background as a community so that we can serve one another. That's why we've got a Bible school, so that you can study the Word of God. We've got prophetic stuff happening. We've got a place where people can receive healing to be prayed for constantly. So it's constantly serving us so that our lives are being made whole to be more like Jesus in every part of our lives as we're going to do. Because you guys have the benefit of being scattered, in a way, into the city of Cape Town every week. That's why I'm, I'm loving this idea of playing hockey, because these guys are broken. They're absolutely broken. And I know, I know, I'm going to stick around long enough, we're going to have some very deep conversations. So what do you think about that? And they, they're open. They are genuinely open. And this book is, is, is speaking into the season we're at in the life of our church, because I really feel God, because he speaks a lot about testing and temptation as well. You see, is that, it's that the enemy that tempts us. And what is he tempting? He's tempting you so that you fall into sin. But the Lord tests you because when you are made perfect through testing, it produces a godliness that comes out of you that you can do more for him. You see, it's not, we don't blame the devil for everything. You know, lead us not into temptation. Like, lead us not into testing. Those words are so closely read, we, we can get them confused sometimes. But, but God tests us. He tested Isaac. I mean, Abraham with Isaac. And he passed the test. And God's testing us. And how we respond to what he's requiring of as a, as a people to serve one another, but to serve this community to greater measures. And how that looks and works and stuff. Because I thought about it. What do, we, what do we want to see? Think about what do we want? And I'm assuming most of us will still be here in five years' time. Okay? What do, we, what do we want things to look like in five years' time? We thought, yeah, you're doing this now. We're doing yeah, It's all great. But think, what are we building towards? What do we want this book to shape in our hearts of as, as a people that are looking to be, to look like something? We've got to have that goal in mind of what it looks like. And that the ultimate goal is that the church is an answer. The church is an answer to this world around us. We help with all the things that the government can't do. That's the whole point of this people. I was just driving yesterday and just having this thought of like, you see, the joy of going to church every Sunday is losing its power because people's lives have been cluttered with so much other stuff that they think makes them feel better. There's this foundational thing of what a joy it is to come and be with the people of God and worship together. Don't ever give up the habit of meeting, to be in God's place, to be with His people. It's not a duty it's the, what a joy that we get to no other religion has this consistency of meeting every week. All the time. Well, I suppose the Jewish with the Sabbath and all that. There's this rhythm, folks. A rhythm of God's love for us. What he's got. And this, this, it's all about those patterns in our lives that serve him first. And then we add all the other stuff. 
And that's what God's doing with us. He's saying, what does your life look like? So now, every day you're getting a little video like, I bet you, I bet you, people are going, jeez, man, slow down, slow down with these videos. But every day, but you know what? It's testing your faith. That's what it is. Because I feel the same. I mean, someone then messaged on the group saying, like, hey, where's the video? I'm like, hell, I've got to bed at four o'clock. Can I just give me a chance to understand it, you know? <laughs> Somewhere here. It's my out with the kids. You know? And I was encouraged by that. I was like, people are keen. Someone else sent the video to the baby city numbers. Like, here it is. Go on, send it out now. We haven't got it yet. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but you see, it's little things like that that you get tested by, by setting everything else aside. Come to first fruits. But you have no other agenda. No other agenda say, I want to be before God. What did James do? He was always in the temple praying for the people. It was another position of his life that was laid down for God. Stop all your own stuff. Can you stop? You know, that's a big thing. Can you stop it? Like I said, the airport mode is the best thing on my phone right now. I actually don't want to talk to people. Stop bothering me. Sitting praying. I wonder that could be. Oh, another message. It's distraction. Turn it off. And that's what God's doing with us. Just turn it all off. And getting caught up in pointless, running around, trying to find life. Seek first the kingdom. And his righteousness. And all this. So I, I, I thought, and I've done this a few times here. It might be very similar to something that I did in the past. But I thought, what do we want to see now? Five years, six, seven, eight years. What do we want to see? Sorry, Neil. Well, at least I made you laugh. That's amazing. What do we want to see? We want to see a safe place for people to come and worship in spirit and in truth. We want to see a community get united in heart and live as one serving as a kingdom ambassadors here on earth. That's what we want to see. We want to see a people where the least can be served and given dignity. We want to be a people who, can, who are restored and transformed and made whole by the love of Christ. We want to see a people whose hearts are marriages, uh, <laughs> whose hearts are marriages, whose marriages can flourish. We want to see a people whose children can grow up and learn the ways of God. We want to, we want to be a people who've learned about the kingdom and its finances and the generous hearts that we've been given. Wow, that's quite a people. I'd, I'd join a church that looks like that. I'd really want to be with those people. Like what's, hap- what's, what's up with you people? We've got to be intriguing to the world. We've got to, we've got to be intriguing. Like, what is it about you? You're never, you're never down about this nation. What is that about you? Like the company's going through trouble, but you, you still carry on like you've got some hope. Well, what is that about you? People might not ask the question, but they're thinking it in their heart. No doubt. I want to be people that can be ministered to for healing. I want to a, a place where, where men can stand up and take their place in the community. A place that impacts and teaches the heart of true worship and honoring His presence. A people who seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then do all the other stuff in their lives, knowing that all these things will be added unto them. And a people who don't see the color of skin as different, but the joy of being one in Christ and celebrating our diversity in God. See, we've got to look like we want to be going somewhere in a couple of years' time. And it's flourishing marriages. It's financially free. It's children that are flourishing in the things of God and knowing the ways of the King. And it's not gonna, is it going to look perfect? No, it's not going to look perfect. But we've got our hope set 
on a far greater thing than the things that are struggling around us. That's why our eyes are fixed on Him. That's why that picture of the Father just walking, it's constantly drawing us forward. And He's testing us in our own lives of how we walk and how we live and how we serve Him. Some of you might have heard of a guy called Hudson Taylor, whose wife, at the end of her life, really suffered a lot in sickness and in health. And someone asked her this question, why would God allow this to happen to you when you've served Him so faithfully your whole life? Good question. Okay. And her answer was, oh, she said, He is just putting the finishing touches to my character. I don't think we respond when things are not going right like that. This is the test of our faith. That's what this book is going to do for us. And it's not out of legalism. It's not free license to do what we want to do. It's from the place of liberty. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. And that's all in conjunction with being transformed into His image and His likeness. Because we've seen the glory. And it impacts and touches our lives and hearts. That's what we live for. So this book is going to work deep into our hearts. Let's respond as the Spirit speaks to us. Because we want to touch a dying world out there. We want to touch a desperate world out there. To see people know the true love. And your lifestyle is the model. That's what speaks to people. Amen. 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 Let's stand together. And I want to pray over us. Let's all just close our eyes. I don't know what state you're in. I don't know what place you're in. I don't know what season you're in. But the one thing we know is that our King is seated on the throne and has given us all things for life and godliness. Not our own things we need. Our desires are to live for Him. So I want to just quieten your heart just for a minute. Quieten your heart. And I want you, your position to be that God in the next few months, as we walk through your word, that my position would be, speak to me. Show me these things in my life where I need to set aside. I need to repent. I need to come before you with humility. And saying to pride, there's no room here. Because I can preach till the cows come home and you won't change. But one touch... One moment in His glory, just one glimpse, will change you forever. And it's in these places, these times, where we get to taste of His goodness. So Lord, I want to thank You that we want to live according to Your agenda for us. We live according to Your plans and purposes for us. Now pray over every heart here this morning, that as we... Open our hearts to you this morning and say, God, show me, speak with me, help me, help me in my everyday life to seek first the kingdom, to put priority to the ways of the king, first and foremost, because my life is in service to you, his majesty, the king. That's why I'm an ambassador for your kingdom here on earth, Lord. My citizenship is not here. It's with you in glory. So Father, I pray strength over every heart, that as a community, 
We walk together in the truth that you've got for us. We hold on to the promises that you're speaking to us. In faith, we claim these things. We hold them on, onto them. And we honor you and we praise you. I just feel, this is hold this place here. If you, if you feel that in your own life that you, you've just drifted from the center of what God's got in order for you and you're feeling, I don't think I'll ever be able to get there. You know, we've used that whole old term, backslidden and stuff. I don't, I don't know. You've just drifted off the path. I, I want you to be brave enough to put up your hand where you're at. Because we as a community want to rally around you. And we want to pray for you and encourage you to say, man, I want to live for God. Because you, you can be encouraged on your own, but there's something very powerful what community does in encouraging your heart. In standing together. If you feel that, you, you just want assurance today. God... Here I am. It's just saying to heaven, say, God, here I am. I want to live my life for you. Just put up your hands high. Okay? And I want people around them just to, just keep your hands up if you can. It's all over going up. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. See, folks, we don't live here to hide. We live here to come with an open heart for God to touch us. And to move and move in our hearts and our lives. And in isolation, the enemy will lie to you. It's in the context of community where you are benefiting from the joy of other people's faith, other people's strength in God. And that's what we stand together to believe in. So lift those hands high. And I want people around them just to gather around them, lay hands on their shoulders, lay hands on their heads, and stand together and stuff. There's a whole folks that side. Let's just gather around folks if we can. Okay, because we're in this together, folks. You didn't come to get what you wanted. You came here to serve and give what you have. So, Lord, we want to thank you for the honesty of these hearts this morning, Lord. Where hearts have felt that they've just drifted from you and they long to be close to you, Father. Lord, I pray right now, by the touch of your Holy Spirit, you would touch their hearts and their lives. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you don't discount any one of us. You accept every single one of us just the way we are, Lord. You didn't pay a price to reject us. You paid a price to receive us, to redeem us, to transform us. To make us whole. And I pray right now. Every heart would know the transforming power of the Holy Spirit upon their hearts and their lives. I pray for enthusiasm for the word. I pray for a hunger to read your words. A desire to just speak with you. I encourage you. Just walk and talk with Jesus. As your life and your day goes on. Just be in communion. Just talk with the Father. The Son has made a way for you. To be able to commune with him. Father, we thank you that we can stand together in unity and we pray over these next few months that you would work deep in our hearts and lead us into all the truth that you have for us as a community. We honor you today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Be blessed. Be strengthened. Amen.